Martin, who's here, Kathy, for that. If you have, we have been looking at judges. This is took the land. There was a time of judges that were said they were sort of like Highland leaders. If you go to my culture, come and that is that is the people said God rescued them. They lived in peace. They forgot about God. They fell back into sin. They suffered distress. They cried out to God, and He rescued them again and again. And he does the same thing really to us. And we'll look at a cycle we get into, but we learn from this. And the great thing, the bottom line, the big idea is Devin, who's not with us today, he's at a, at a course to pass his journeyman's license. The big idea is that in spite of all that, God brought Messiah Jesus through his people. Do y'all realize how incredible that is? With all of that sin, all of that Baal worship, all of that Ashtoreth, all of that stuff, he ends up bringing Jesus the Messiah through that line. And in the same way, um, we have sort of a thing that we can do. Well, I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm skipping around here. The last week, last week, we talked about the fall of Gideon. I always thought that Gideon was this great hero. He was my hero. You know, Gideon with the 300. And as we read, it got sadder and sadder because my hero, to quote Gary Bennett, was becoming a zero. And you say, well, what happened to Gideon? And we looked last week, and what happened to Gideon, he might, if you looked at it in, in our own frame of reference, stop walking in the Spirit and began to walk in his flesh. We saw him. He got a harem to act like a king. He melted down earrings and made this golden ephod. And really, his life kind of ended in disaster. And I alluded to the fact that one of his sons, Abimelech, who means my daddy is king. Now, Gideon named his son Abimelech, my dad's king. And yet Gideon told the people, I don't want to be your king, but I'm going to name my kid my daddy's king, okay? Gideon had a flesh problem. And we can have a flesh problem too. We saw that what happens is we're talking about walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. And we've talked about that many, many weeks. His life ended disaster because he gave himself to the flesh. And as Orlando told us, in Christ, we are hyper-victorious, hyper-Nike, okay? We're hyper-victorious. We are, we are righteous in the Lord, but we too can let our flesh take over and take us to places that we're not supposed to be, all right? The key to staying in the Spirit is staying in the Word. Talked to Dr. House about this this week. It's really in the Word that we're transformed. It's, it transforms, it renews our mind as it talks about in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The Word washes us. It leaps from the pages into the transcripts of our heart, as Pastor Michael says. And the key to staying in the Word, it's the key is to stay in the Word and apply it to our lives. We have learned in Hebrews 4, 12, that should say, I don't think it's 4, 8. The Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division between the soul and the spirit, as close as something as the joints and the marrow, and it is a discerner of our thoughts in the intents of our heart. What that means is when we study the Word together, it is like, I think, what did we call it on Wednesday? We called it a, an upload. A, it, it's, what do we call it? Yeah, it's a software update. Every time you take God's Word into your soul, it's a software update. The operating uh, system, so to speak, in us is not Windows, but it's the Holy Spirit. And it's there to act in us and change us and, and work through us as well. You feel okay, Judy? All right, good. Come on in. So the only way to ensure that we can not have that flesh take over, all right, so that flesh doesn't take front row in our lives, is to say, stay centered in God's Word and to apply it to our lives. It's in the applying of it, not just the knowing of it. 
I grew up in a Bible tradition where we studied and we studied and we studied and we studied and we never talked about how to apply anything. One thing Dr. House says, he said, I love the way you always bring out application. You have to or it's just study. And what are you when you're all head? What are you? Catfish. No, not a catfish. <laughs> you might look like a catfish. When you're all head, you're a cabbage. Bunch of cabbage heads. I don't want cabbage heads. I want to see a garden in here that is applying God's word and having changes in their life, okay? What is a Christ-directed life? What, what, what are the key signature things of it, Pastor Larry? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And where do we find those? Galatians 5.22, amen. And when you have a Christ-directed life, you have a life that's Christ-centered. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. You introduce others to Christ. You can't help it, okay? Every time you open your mouth, like Scott Armstrong, he's introducing someone to the Christ in him, to the Holy Spirit that's within him. They're seeing maybe it for the first time, right? Seeing him, the Holy Spirit. That kind of person desires an effective prayer life. That doesn't mean you sit there and go, wow, okay, I need to check this off my list. We, we, Randy and I talk about it. You just pray because you can't help but praying. It's because that's what you want to do. You want to have communication with the Father, Amen. And then understanding God's word, the spirit and study helps that, good teaching, trusting God and obeying God. That's where Gideon got off track. We talked about his love enduring forever, and yet God's people sinned over and over. Their sin resulted in bondage, and the same thing happens, happens to us as believers. I've taught you all. I've said, where are the saints? Who are the saints? I kind of teased Kathy Adamo about that. In, in a bit of her Catholic background. Is it St. Anthony? No, it's St. Michael. It's St. Diane. It's St. Sandra. St. Sandy. St. Mark. I mean, this Mark right here, not the one in the Bible. All right. We are saints that sometimes sin. We're not just horrible, terrible, horrible people. We are new creations. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If any man or woman is new, is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Yet we struggle with the flesh. It's still there within us. Paul struggled with the flesh. If you don't believe it, go read Romans 7. Okay? But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are no longer in bondage. We don't have to be slaves to sin. Y'all follow me? It's a difference. So why didn't God just consume his people? Why didn't he just say, I'm done with you, Israel? You can throw it out. He loved them. And he loved them with the kind of love, Hesed love. Who said Hesed? That never lets go. All right? She said it. You guys are learning. They learn with that kind of love, Mac, that we saw that dog grab that other dog's ear that day. It's a love that grabs hold and never lets go. We saw a couple of dogs in a dog fight, and we still talk about that. That's how God loves us, like that dog biting that pit bull's ear. It hangs on and never lets go. So in spite of Israel's repeated failures, God was faithful in his promises to his people. Why? Because sometimes God just shows mercy on folks. That's one reason. Remember what he told Moses when Moses said, Lord, I want you to show yourself to me. They had this dialogue and talked. And, and uh, the Lord says to him, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. God just treated him that way because he's merciful. That's why. And he's merciful with us as well. The prophet Jeremiah also answers the question of why did God not give up on his people? Now, one thing is he promised his people certain things permanently, whether they performed anything or not. 
kind of like in that case, like our grace covenant where he promises salvation because of Jesus. And that's it. We've said Jesus back in Ephesians. Jesus plus nothing equaled how much congregation? Everything. Everything. Amen. In this Jeremiah 33, 22 through 25, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, through the Lord's mercies, and there is the magic word, Scott, hesed. It is through the Lord's hesed, unfailing, loyal, ungiving up kind of love that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new. How often? Every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. This is hali, uh, haliki, okay? Haliki portion means I possess the Lord. He's all that I want and it's all that I need. That's what Jeremiah is saying here. He's saying the Lord is my portion. He is my possession. He is what I need, okay? Says my soul. And therefore, what is the, the product of that? Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. God's people were warned in Deuteronomy 8. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Okay, you can go and look at it. He says, you will build houses. You will have all of this prosperity. He said, and you're going to forget that it's God that did it all. Now, I don't talk about politics much in here, but I'm going to talk about something very current. It's two centuries old, okay? Abraham Lincoln in 1863, when the Senate decided to pass Thanksgiving, this is what Abraham Lincoln said in part. We have grown in numbers. I'm just commenting that so much in America is so similar to the book of Judges. And when it ends up, the last verse of Judges, it's going to be exactly like here. There was no king in the land, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We're getting to that point, okay? But look what Abraham Lincoln said. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. This is in 1863, the middle of the Civil War. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. Doesn't that sound like Moses? And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Aren't we suspect to do that? Don't, aren't, isn't that our tendency? Things get to going good and we think, man, I'm something. Look what I did. What an incredible businessman I am. What a wonderful this or a wonderful that. And yet it's God that does it all because his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So let's look at Judges 9, 1 through 6. The folks that were here on Wednesday have already read this, but I'm going to read it again. Open your Bibles. Judges 9, 1 through 6. Because what we're doing here, we're going to talk about how God never gives up, and then we're going to look at why, if it were me or you, we probably would have given up on these people. Okay, that's where I'm going with this. Then Abimelech, the son of Jerubabel, that's now what Gideon is called. He's never called Gideon again in the text. He's now just called contender with Baal. Went to Shechem to his mother's brothers, this is Abimelech, the son, and he spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his fa mother's father saying, that's his uncles, okay, please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. Which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbabel reign over you or that one reign over you? I wonder which one he's talking about himself. Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. And his mother's brothers, that's his uncles, spoke all of these words concerning him in the hearing of all of the men of Shechem, and their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he is our brother. So they gave him 70 shekels of silver. Isn't that interesting? Because it ends up 
hiring people to kill the 70 brothers. Silver from the temple of Baal Bereth, that means Baal's covenant, that's now where the temple was, and with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men. He, what he hired is thugs, okay? And they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jerubbabal, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabal, was left because he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all at Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree. That's an oak tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. This guy is so horrible, he kills 70 of his brothers. And only one of them survives, Jotham, which is so, it's just shocking to me that this is where Gideon's family has fallen to. Isn't this shocking? I mean, it is to me. And he killed these people, and then it says only his brother Jotham survived and prophesied that Abimelech would kill those who illegitimately had put him in power. He's going to get up on the hill there and shout out to the city in the verses that follow. So, and when he talks about it, he's going to talk about how a king, a king could have been like an olive tree and provided this kind of shade. And he said, instead, you guys have, you guys have elected a briar bush. All right, that's what he calls Abimelech. I'm not going to read all that part. He says, go enjoy the shade under the briars. That's what he tells them. When you could have had olive trees. So let's continue at verse 7. Now when they told Jotham, he went up and stood at the top of Mount Gerizim. And he lifted his voice and he cried out. And he said to them, listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men? And go to sway over trees. Then the tree said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I cease my sweetness and good fruit and go to sway over trees? Then the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Should I cease my new wine, which cheers both God and man, and go to sway over the trees? Then all of the trees said to the bramble, Okay, there's the bramble on the right, said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter under my shade. <laughs> there was no shade, right? But if not, listen what he says. If you don't elect the bramble, if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. He says, let fire come and eat up all the people. Jotham saying, you are going to elect Abimelech and you're going to end up getting burned by him in a real sense of the word, okay? And Abimelech is going to get burned by you. That's what we just read there. Did we go through 15? Yeah, we did. Let's continue then from 12. Oh, we already did that. I'm sorry. There we go. Then in verses 22 through 44, a guy comes along that's named Gaal, and he stirs up all this trouble. And within three years, there's enmity between Abimelech and the people of Shechem, okay? In other words, things are not working out. And we're going to skip over all of those, but it's basically this fight getting stirred up with Gaal, okay? And there was attacks, and they hit out, and there was uh, ambushes and counterattacks, and all this stuff went on. And in the end, in verse 45, we see that Abimelech destroys the city of Shechem. That's where he's from. He goes and he wrecks his own place. Listen to this. All that day, Abimelech pressed his attack against the city until he had captured it, and he killed its people 
Then he destroyed the city, and he scattered salt over it. He was not just satisfied with the destruction of his own city, which is kind of shocking. He's already killed all of his brothers. Look what he does now. On hearing this, the citizens in the tower of Shechem, I'm in verse 46, went into the stronghold of the temple of el And when Abimelech heard that they had assembled there, he and all of his men went up to Mount Salmon. There they are. He took an axe and cut off some branches, which he lifted to his shoulders. He ordered the men with him, quick, do what you've seen me do. So all of the men cut branches and followed Abimelech. They piled them against the stronghold, set it on fire with the people still inside. So all of the people in the tower of Shechem, about a thousand men and women died. Abimelech burned up his own people. Guys, this is amazing. This is the legacy that Gideon left behind when he no longer walked in the spirit, but pursued the flesh. Great consequences happen in our own lives when we get off into the weeds. We don't lose our salvation, but we create great destruction. All right, maybe not burning people up, but all other kinds of things. Then I'm going to read verses 52 through 56. Look at this picture. Isn't this great? It's the destruction of Abimelech. I'm in 9.52. So 9.52. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it, and he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. He was going to do it again. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me a woman killed him. He said, Just go ahead and kill me because I don't want him to say that a woman killed me. So his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed everyone to his place. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem God returned on their own heads. And on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel, the son of Gideon. What a disaster happens when Gideon pursues his flesh. Remember what I told you? I told you that saying in Irish that he, that, that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree as we say in English. Okay, he has taught his sons well how to live violently and to do wrong. And yet still, God uses his people, all right, to do great things and bring Messiah. So a question I have here today is, do we always reap what we sow? We're going to go a little short today because we've got a business meeting. Do we always reap what we sow? The Bible tells us that um, whatsoever a man soweth, he also reaps, right? I mean, we say amen, but really if we reaped what we deserved, we wouldn't be saved. It's God's mercy and compassion that have saved us, right? So I think what I'm going to say is this is a general principle that's found in Scripture, but it has some qualifiers, okay? It It doesn't always happen. Sometimes God's grace kicks in. What if you're having trouble? We know folks in this room who have had tremendous difficulty. As a matter of fact, most of us have had tremendous difficulty. For you new people coming into this fellowship, we say that everybody's, Sandy says, everybody's cheese at Union Grove has slid off their cracker just a little bit. (laughs) We are a group of broken people. If you have it all together and you're perfect, then I probably wouldn't stick around because you won't be able to stand us. Because all of us have our cheese just slid a little bit off of our crackers. And yet God uses us mightily. So when you have these difficulties, you say, oh, Lord, is it something that I've sown? Is it something that I've done, Lord, that's made it so difficult for me where I have this problem or I have that problem? 
And I would say no. Don't think that it's always something that you've sown. We know from Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. We know that we live in a broken world. You're going to have difficulties. Paul talks about this over and over and over. It doesn't always mean that you've done something wrong or that God isn't blessing you. There's false teaching today that uh, if, if bad things are happening to you, then you did something wrong and, and maybe you're not giving enough money or all that you hadn't done this or you hadn't done that. We've, it's all on TV. You can turn and read all that. That's all junk and none of it's true. All right. Paul says to us, you know, three times I was shipwrecked, I was beaten, I was whipped, I was this, I was that. And all the time he was walking in the spirit, okay? Bad things sometimes just happen to us, and we learn from them. God uses them in some way for our own good. I mean, you can read all about that in the book of Job, right? So here's the thought I got from questions.org. It's a, a group that I go to sometimes, and I thought this was a wonderful thing. The principle of reaping and sowing is generally true, but not always at work in every situation in the way we might expect. Faith in Jesus and the pursuit of godliness, that's what sowing in the Spirit is, okay? Faith in Jesus, putting your faith in Him, and then pursuing godliness, saying, Lord, I want to pursue you. Lord, let your Holy Spirit work in and through me. You already have the Holy Spirit. I've told you all that. You're never going to get more of the Holy Spirit. So what the Holy Spirit, you don't need more Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit needs more of you. The Holy Spirit needs more of me. That's what walking in the Spirit is. Sowing to the flesh is depending on ourselves and our abilities to find our own way without God's help. And that's what Gideon did. He looked for his own way without God's help. It will reap nothing but a dead end. But when we place our trust in Christ, we reap eternal life and his love is fertile ground. Isn't that beautiful? So what's the big idea today? The big idea is this. We see failure after failure after failure in Israel. God never gave up on Israel. And Judy, he never gives up on you. He never gives up on me. Isn't that encouraging? That, I think, is the great takeaway from the book of Judges for me. Not us just looking over and over that, this, that the people fail and that they sin, but that God says, I'm going to use you and I'm going to bring my Redeemer through you in spite of yourselves. And so he uses us the same way in spite of ourselves, in spite of our weaknesses. He never gives up on you and me. So that's why I called today. I called this sermon, I'm doing much better than we deserve. We're doing better than we deserve. I wanted to start off, and you'll get the written sermon later today, where there's this guy, Dave Ramsey, that's on the radio. People go, how you doing, Dave? He says, much better than I deserve. Well, let me tell you something. We're all doing much better than we deserve. That's the sermon today. We're doing much better than we deserve. So let's praise the Lord in that. Let's give him thanks and praise uh, that he loves us and he's not ever done with us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, 